as we come into the, the reading and the, the preaching of God's word, we also believe that God is speaking to us through his word. This isn't a TED talk. Uh, this isn't a concert uh, with some life hack tips tacked onto the end of it. This is, we are entering into a mystical encounter with the Lord God of the heavens and earth who's going to speak to us through his word. And so the first thing we do is we pray and we ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds, to literally supernaturally give us the ability to hear and understand and obey the deep things of Scripture. So let's, as we approach his word, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, all of your blessings upon us. We thank you for this beautiful day when we are able to come together and worship you and experience all of the, the benefits and the blessings of being in communion with, uh, with the communion of believers and in communion and in union with you through the connection of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, there's so much going on and so much blessing that you have given us, Lord. We pray that you would light our minds on fire as we listen to and read your text, uh, that you would show us the deep, the deepness of the beauty of Christ and what you have done for us and also what you are calling us to do in walking into new life, uh, Lord, so that we would be blessed and we would be a blessing to others. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand, uh, give us minds to understand, give us hearts to obey your perfect word, and we entrust ourselves to you that through this you will grow us and strengthen us and beautify us to be more like Jesus. And that is our heart's desire. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are starting our Lent service today, our Lent series, right? Lent, Lent's a couple of things. It's not a mandatory thing. That's where I think that really the big church, bigger churches go wrong where they say, you must do this, right? It's nothing in the Bible that says we have to do this. However, it's, tr- it's a tradition that's been in the church for uh, since the very earliest centuries of the church where people took a season of time before Easter to really meditate on a couple of things. Usually Lent is is talked, we talk about it or we talk about it in the sense of Lent is the time where we take an extended 40-day meditation on why Good Friday was necessary. I think that's a good way to say it. But Lent is also, really Lent came from the 40 days of it, came from a a long meditation on the temptation of Jesus and the temptations that he faced in the world as our Messiah and deliverer, but also in the sense of the Christian life, because we meet many of those same temptations ourselves in the Christian life. And God calls us in our pilgrimage through this world to separate us from those things of death and to come into and be separated for God and to be separated for the things of God. If you like it or not, if we're Christians, we are being set apart from this world by God. And so over the next 40 days, as we approach Easter, we're going to take a minute and we're going to look at, at what that means. Um, you know, we always trip when we think about being set apart from something for God. We always focus hard on the from. And it's scary to think about being separated from the very things that give us comfort in this world. And yet, what God calls us to do is just focus on the for, what God is separating us for, which is always something better, 
always, always something better. So if you would please stand now as we read uh, the scripture. This is from Matthew chapter 3. This is the baptism of Jesus, and this is where the narration of the, the narrative of the temptation of Christ starts. Let's give our attention to God's word. This, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I have this kind of ongoing fascination with diet and exercise. Not actually doing diet and exercise. <laughs> Just kind of fascinated by it, by thinking about it, right? And because, listen, I, um, I, I've had periods in my life when I've been super healthy, and I know a, a little bit about nutrition, and I know all about, uh, I know what's bad, and why. I know that I eat in ways that's bad for me. I know why it's bad for me. I can, like, I can imagine in my mind, like, a healthier diet and the benefits from that, and I know it's better, and yet, I still don't do it. I still don't do it. Uh, and it's no accident that God relates our spiritual life, our physical appetites, to our spiritual appetites. Uh, you know, Jesus is the bread from heaven. Just like bread nourishes our body, Jesus nourishes our soul and our spirits, right? And to, uh, the same thing happens to me in my spiritual life. The same game plays out. I know, uh, I know what's bad for me to do. <laughs> Can I get an amen? I know what happens to me when I do it, that it's bad. I know it's good. I know what God's word said is good for me to consume, what's good for me to, to do, and I, and I understand that it would be blessing, and I still don't do it. I still don't do it. Why? Well, because, let's be honest, when I think about what God says will be good for me, even when I believe it's true, it seems like it's going to be too hard. It's going to take too long. It's going to be too emotionally painful. And what I want to do right now is going to be easier in the sense of more convenient. Maybe it's going to give me a little bit of comfort right now in the pain. Uh, and, and you know what that does? That betrays what my practical theology actually is, right? Not my systematic theology, not the stuff I believe in my head, the stuff that I really believe in my heart. It just kind of comes out. 
I can say all the right things. Man, I got, you know, I spent seven years of my life trying to make, make you know, be able to say all the right things. <laughs> but my practical theology is that my way is easier and easier is always better. That's what I believe. What's up, brother? What's up, brother? Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Amen. Even though I know that God's law <laughs> is uh, is the instructions for how to love God and love other people, and it is the pathway to joy. I know that. I believe all of it, and yet I still don't do it because my practical theology says that my way is easier and easier is going to be better. And so, boom, there I am, easing my way into the late night ice cream session, into drinking a whole 12-pack of Red Cokes, on the couch, into the late night computer session, into the withdrawal from my spouse, into the nursing of resentments, into the planning of revenge, into the loss of relationships, into the loneliness that comes from all of that. And I'm doing it all in the name of easy. This is going to be easier. Why do we get so bent out of shape when we talk about holiness or sanctification or being set apart by God? We get all bent out of shape because we think about being set apart. When we think about being set apart, we think about the being set apart from the thing that gives us comfort. Even if it's licking your wounds, it could be a million different things. And it seems like that's going to be too hard, too painful, take too long, and so even though we believe what God says, we still don't do it. Or we still don't want to walk into it. Uh, but when God thinks about setting us apart, being made holy, he thinks about the four, what he is setting us apart for. And God is setting us apart for something better. God is setting us apart for something better. Uh, and we're going to see that over and over again in the coming weeks through the temptation narrative. But the story starts right here in the baptism of Jesus. This whole complex. Jesus is baptized. The Spirit descends upon him. The Spirit then drives him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so there's a connection. Boom, 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 boom. The temptation narrative starts here. And so what is it? What's the connection? Let's start at the beginning then and, and look at the baptism of Jesus. 
And really, the first question, when we do that, the first question is, uh, why is Jesus being baptized at all? Have you think about that? I mean, look, this is like, this is a climactic moment in Matthew's gospel in the narrative, right? This is when Jesus shows up on the stage. Prior to this, just birth narrative, birth narrative, Jesus hasn't shown up. He hasn't been, he's not a man. He hasn't said anything. Jesus shows up on the stage. This is his appearance. The main character of the play, his first move onto the stage, his first words. Uh, and, and listen, there, one thing is super clear about this passage. What's ultra clear is that John's baptism is a baptism for repentance and sin. That's it. In fact, he's turning fools away who are unwilling to admit that they need to be baptized. You brood of vipers, right? It's for repentance and sin, and yet John knows this. Jesus knows this. Jesus has no sin to repent of. What the heck is he doing there? Well, you know, John's like, in the, in the Greek, this is like repetitive action. John's like, nope, nope. Nope, he takes, he takes several stabs at it. No way, bro, not happening. I am not baptizing you. You can baptize me, but I am not baptizing you. Forget it. And then Jesus, though, gives us, he tells us why. In Matthew's gospel, he tells us why he's there. He says, he looks at John and he says, let it be, that's an imperative command. <laughs> that's God saying, you're gonna do it. <laughs> and it says, he says, let it be, for it, is, for, for it is fitting for us, he and John together need to be part of this, to fulfill all righteousness. And now listen, when we, here's what you, we, I think, here's what we usually get when you look this up in the commentaries, some commentaries, is that the reason that Jesus is being baptized for to fulfill all righteousness, and that's the key, what does that mean? To fulfill all righteousness means that Jesus, being perfectly obedient to God, that's righteousness, he obeys all of God's commands, including the command to be baptized. Makes sense, right? Except Jesus isn't a sinner, and this is a baptism for sinners, so he's not, the command isn't for him. He doesn't have to be baptized. He doesn't break the command. So that doesn't really fly. So from there... People kind of move on to, okay, well, maybe then Jesus being our champion, he actually, in this moment, he repents for us. In our pathetic repentance, Jesus actually does our repenting for us, which is a beautiful thought. Granted, I get it. But God doesn't really allow, ever allow these double payments for things, right? Just as Jesus died to sin for us, so that what? We could die to sin? No, so we could never die so that our death is a transition into life. Jesus was judged on the cross for us. Why? So that our judgment would be taken care of. We will never face judgment or be under judgment. That's a thing of the past. It would break, it would violate God's character to judge us when we've already been judged in Christ. And so, uh, although Jesus, um, what he does, and we're gonna see, makes it possible for us to repent uh, repenting twice would be a double payment. I don't think that's it. So maybe people say, maybe Jesus is just uh, trying to identify with us. Yeah. He just wants to be like, he just wants to be with the homies and do what, I, do what we do and 
and, and be with us and be identified with us, right? And that's true. There's a lot of truth in that. He does. He, the, he took on flesh uh, so that we would be his brothers. So what's going on? Is there a better explanation? And I think there is. You see, when we think, when we hear fulfill all righteousness, uh, we think about Paul's letters, which means that we are to, you know, to do uh, what's right in God's eyes. And that is definitely a meaning of that word righteousness. But in Jesus' case, when it talks about fulfilling all righteousness, usually he's talking about completing the mission, doing what all the prophets said he would do, fulfilling the offices and the roles that God had foreordained for him to accomplish here in this life. Uh, and so do we see, is there anything like that that we see in the Old Testament that we, could, that we see happening here? There's also, this is part, this is a much bigger move. It's not just Jesus gets baptized. He's baptized, and then what happens? It's all connected. Immediately comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes down upon him in bodily form, and then God makes a pronouncement. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, and so do we see anything like that? Is there an Old Testament pattern that fits that bill? And there is. In Exodus 29, the inauguration of the high priest of Israel. It's exactly what we see. First, Aaron and his son, Aaron, is baptized. Uh, it's one of the only, uh, only, only, it's one of the very few instances in the Old Testament where someone is baptized by someone else. Most of the baptisms in the Old Testament are ritual washings you do to yourself. Yet for the high priest, Moses baptizes Aaron. And then what happens right after he baptizes Aaron? Well, they put their priestly vestments on signifying that they have become priests, and then they are anointed with oil, which is always, 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 always a picture of the anointing of God's Holy Spirit upon someone, right? And so what do we see in uh, Acts 10.38? Luke, talking about what happened at Jesus' baptism, he says, from the beginning, from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And you throw in the fact that Jesus was, it was go, go, they go out of their way to say he was 30 years old, which was the time that priests came into service. Uh, we understand that John was from a Levitical priestly line. His father, Zachariah, served in the temple as a, high, as a priest. That's pretty clear. This is the anointing of the high priest of Israel. But not just that. Then God says, this speaks out of heaven. This is my son in whom I am well pleased, which comes from Psalm 2, which is a song about the future king of Israel on his coronation day. It also comes, it's, also, it's a combination of, of Psalm 2-7 and Isaiah 42 Verse 1, uh, speaking about the king of Israel being coronated as the king to then go out and, and serve, uh, which we see, what, how, what, what does Isaiah promise? That the Messiah will be both king and high priest of Israel. So if you were an Israelite and you just happened to be like down at the Jordan River that day, 
and you saw all this go down, if you were a student of the Bible, you would say you'd go home to your wife and you'd be like, honey, you're not going to believe what I saw today. I don't even know how to explain it except to say that this man was just anointed both high priest and king of Israel by God himself and you'd be right because that's what just happened. Now, as God, as the high priest of Israel, does Christ carry our sins for us? Absolutely. As the high priest of Israel, he does a lot of things. As the king of Israel, he does a lot of things. But this is what this is, is the moment in time when the man Jesus showed up to be set apart for God's plan and God's purposes, come what may. That's the moment. So a couple questions. Was that the easier, softer way for Jesus to take? (laughs) No. Was it harder? Yes. (laughs) Mark's gospel says, he comes out of the water, spirit anoints him, and then the spirit drives him into the wilderness to begin the mission. And from that point on, temptation by the devil, scorning by people, uh, it's a rough road. You know the story. It's a rough road to the cross. Was it harder? Absolutely. But was it better? Yes. It was better. Better for us, being ordained as God's high priest, that, made, that empowered Jesus, the man, to serve as the high priest of Israel who then, rather than taking an animal and sacrificing it for the sins of the people, as high priest presented himself as the sacrifice for God's people in a sacrifice so worthy, so powerful, so big that it, like a nuclear explosion, a blast wave that just wiped all of his people's sins out like that. And as king, it was better because he began in that moment subduing and destroying our enemies and creating a realm of protection and peace for us to dwell in as our king, as our protector. Yeah, so what's the, uh, what's the moral of the story in the kingdom of God? Easier does not always mean better. Easier is not always better. Jesus didn't trip on what he was being set apart from because he was focused on the what he was being set apart for. For the joy set before him. For the joy set before him. So, moving to second point then. What about our baptism? If Jesus' baptism like, wasn't like this you know, repentance for us or just an identification with us, if Jesus' baptism, for, or Jesus baptism was quantifiably a, a, a much bigger thing in the life of Israel and in the, in the history of, of God's redemptive plan, 
Is there like no semblance, no relationship between his baptism and our baptism? It's just like hard, hard, hard break, you know? Uh, well, maybe, maybe you have kids or maybe you, you know this about our family. My kids are constantly stealing my phone because we won't let them have phones just yet. So they're always stealing ours. Nine times out of ten, it's so they can get on Facebook or Snapchat and do the little, fil- you know, the little filter things where you can put the picture up of the cat or the, the fairy princess or the 70s pop star or the little, like, floating, you know, poop symbol or whatever it is. Look, Daddy, take my picture. And they take their picture of this picture, like of a princess or, or you know, superimposed upon them so that then they take on the characteristics and the likeness of that princess, Right? I got, a, I got a thousand pictures on my phone right now of Victoria as a princess. And I'm leaving them on my phone forever. <laughs> uh, well, our baptism is kind of like that. What Jesus accomplished in his life, in his death, his burial, his resurrection, is kind of like superimposed upon us. So that we begin, we, in God's view, in God's eyes, we look like Jesus. Uh, What Jesus did as our high priest and what Jesus did uh, as king in his death and burial and resurrection, it gets superposed onto us so much so that we are said to participate in those realities. We We do this all the time in communion. Right? When Jesus died, that was our death. It was like we died. When Jesus was buried, it was just as if we were laid out in that tomb with him. And that tomb was sealed. Signifying that we had truly died to the old. And when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it's the guarantee, I say this all the time, it's the guarantee that we too will be resurrected in power and glory one day with Christ. And that's our foundation, right? That's who we are in Jesus. Those are our promises. Those cannot be broken. They cannot be revoked. We are secure and safe in those things and we rest in that reality of what Christ has done for us. Uh, And yet, it's even better than that. There's more to it. Now, that's one, those are wonderful things to know that we have a secure future in a heavenly realm beyond the pale of this veil of tears and the pain that we walk through every single day. And yet that pain and that veil of tears is very, very real. And so our baptism also speaks to us about our life now. Uh, let me tell you a story. Tragic, terrible story. I uh, was a pastor at another church, not this church. I was a pastor at another church, and the, the women's group decided to go through a book. It was on the lavishness of God's grace to sinners. And there was so much good in the book, right, because that's really true, and we need to be washed and just bathe our minds in that reality over and over and over again because our minds immediately go to, nope, got to earn it. Nope, not good enough. Nope. No, God's disappointed in me. No, I didn't do good enough this week. You know, we have to constantly immerse ourselves in the reality of God's lavish and extravagant grace over us in Christ. And yet, however, people who wrote this book who should have known better went on to say, basically, in the book, 
Since God is sovereign over all things, he's sovereign over your sin. And so what that means is you have no power. There's nothing you can do against your sin. All you can do is suffer in it and hope and pray that someday God might remove that sin from you and just rest in it. Um, they got done with the study. This woman is literally weeping in the back seat, back row of the, of the little room, weeping. Uh, and the woman's ministry, the ministry leader comes up and goes, what's, what's wrong? Why are you crying? Didn't you hear what we just said about Jesus forgiving all of our sins? And, our, and she goes, yeah. She's like, that's great. But are you trying to tell me that I'll never be able to stop yelling at my kids? What would you say to her? What would Paul say to her? That's what's important. This is what Paul would say. Paul would say this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Which is exactly what that, the premise of that book was saying. And he says, Meganoito, he says, he says, by no means, by no means. That's the strongest way that you can say, hell no. You're cracked out if you think that. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. That's now. That's not then. Now, granted, then, that's a lot better. It's a lot better. But there's something now. God calls us and empowers us to walk in the newness of life. We no longer belong to the world we used to live in. We're no longer who we used to be. Right? Paul says if you're in Christ, you are new creation. We're part of the new creation. We have the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is connecting us with the powers of the age to come. We're in touch with those things and can begin to exercise them. See, some people will say, uh, we're, we're justified by God's grace. We're sanctified by struggle. Totally wrong. Totally wrong. Uh, Paul would say, their condemnation be just <laughs> for saying such a thing, right? The Bible says that our, our walk into the newness of life is also a benefit and blessing of the power of the Spirit. It's a benefit of the covenant. Just as we are justified, an act of God justifies us our sin is erased. We're right before God. Also, the power of the Spirit begins to dwell in us and live in us, and we're no longer what we used to be. That's what Christianity is. We're not trying to become someone we're not. We're tr 
what we're doing is we're learning how to be who we already are in the spirit, right? But there's, there's one thing, right? It seems to me from my experience in life that God wants us to start walking in it. It says, Bible says, Paul says right after this in Romans 6, that you are to reckon, you are to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. That's a mindset. He's like, listen, you are to believe this is true. You are to say to yourself, I am part of the new creation. I am dead to self and I'm alive to God and then act in it and walk in it. Uh, which is hella scary, Right? Because, uh, you know, even though I know what I am setting myself apart for is bad, or at least worse, and I, even though I know and I believe that what God is setting me apart for is better, it gets stuck in my head that it's going to be too hard, take too long, be too painful, I won't be able to do it, and so I don't even take those first few steps. And I'll confess, I hate, I hate this. I hate this truth. <laughs> I want it to be like this. God's power is so overwhelming and his grace is so magnificent that all what I do is I pray and then God, since I'm praying according to his will, he comes and takes the sin, root and branch, and just removes it from me so I would never even consider doing something like that again. I would recoil as I would from a hot stove. And listen, sometimes he does that. Sometimes he does do that. I was delivered from methamphetamine in the course of four hours. Never to go back. Never have thought about using it again. Praise God. And yet there seems to be this principle where the action of faith God wants us to begin walking in that newness of life and then he comes and, and, and then lifts us up in it. But he wants us to make those first few terrifying steps, right? Hell is scary. I think it's going to be like climbing Mount Everest. I don't, it seems overwhelming. But really it's probably more like just climbing the stairs in my house. I just got to take those first few running steps. It reminds me of, uh, it reminds me of uh, cliff diving when I was in high school. There was a place called Box Canyon in La Costa. I grew up in Encinitas. There was a, there a place where we would go cliff diving. And the highest, the highest level was 60 feet. Uh, and the thing about the, the highest level, the 60-foot level, was you couldn't actually see the water from where you had to jump from. <laughs> you'd, have to, you'd have to step back a little bit because the hillside would curve over a little bit and you couldn't see the water. You couldn't see where you were going to land <laughs> uh, until after you had already jumped and you were in midair. Super scary, right? Even though I knew, so you get up there and you're like, I know the water's down there. I know the water didn't disappear. I know 
I can clear these rocks. It's not hard. It's, too, it's pretty easy. I know that once I take those few running steps and I jump off, uh, I'm going to see the water, and gravity's going to take over, and I'm going to come in, and it's going to be super fun. It's going to be great. It's going to be way better than just sitting on my butt here scared. And yet, still, like, what happens? Heart, terror, like, all these excuses come in. No, the water's not there. No, you ain't going to make it. What if this happens? What if that happens? And you just, your mind just kind of overwhelms you with all this fear of what might happen, even though you know better. Same thing happens to us in the Christian walk, right? I know God's there. I know God's going to get me. I know the Spirit is indwelling within me and that God is going to empower me when I take those first few terrifying steps. And yet, what happens? My heart, terror. It's going to be too hard. It's going to take too long. It's going to be too difficult. It's going to make things worse. And I just sit. And I sit and I'm convinced. I'm convinced that it'll be too hard and it'll take too long. But what faith means you know, sometimes you've got to turn around a few times, right? But at some point, you just got to jump. (laughs) At some point, you just got to jump. At some point, you got to trust that God is going to be there, even if you can't see it. At some point, you got to say, God is going to get me. The Spirit is with me, and he's calling me to make those first few scary steps and jump, and I'm going to do it. Listen, some of you are battling, like, debilitating addictions right now in various forms and you're sitting, and you're afraid that you'll never get out, and it's too hard. That's how I felt. I felt I would never, I felt that I would never, ever be able to get out from underneath the power of the drug. My good friend of mine would used to say, I came to believe that nothing had the power to save me. So I sat in fear. And yet the reality was, I was literally weeks away from an incredible, entirely new life. I just had to take those first couple of steps. Some of you are struggling in super difficult relationships. Maybe some of you are like at odds with your spouse. I know a man, whether in the spirit or out of the spirit, I do not know. But I know a man who had almost completely given up on his marriage ever being a joyful place. And yet, he trusted what God was calling him to do. And within two weeks, his marriage was completely revitalized. Now, there's a lot, there's a lot left to do. There's a lot of hurt to be worked through. There's a lot of sin to still be confessed and acknowledged. But 
It's radically different. He thought it was going to be climbing Mount Everest. It was like walking up the steps and things got better. He took those first few steps. He made that jump. Spirit swooped in. You know, I don't know what, I don't know what it is. What you may or may not be struggling with. I know probably Holy Spirit's laying that on your heart right now. Um, it's not as hard as you think it's going to be. It's not as painful as you think it's going to be. It's not as scary as you think it's going to be. We trip ourselves out, focusing on the from. God is sanctifying me from. But what he's really doing is he's setting us apart for. He's setting us apart for something better. And we can trust that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your, the beauty of your word, the encouragement of it. We thank you that you are our high priest and king that you have once for all offered the sacrifice for your people Israel so that we will never come into judgment, we will never die, uh, that we are already part of the heavenly family and the heavenly kingdom secured by your blood on the cross, your perfect righteous life, and that will never change. We praise you that you are king, that you are right now defeating the enemies of God and the enemies of, of, of us, your people, and empowering us by your spirit, Lord. Let us walk in that. Let us walk in that new life. Lord, because is it harder? Yes. Is it better? No doubt. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And please stand and uh, let's sing our song of meditation as we approach the Lord's table.